Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins weekly podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson up here in the Windy City. He's Andre Fernandez down there in the Gables. How you doing, Dre? I'm doing great, man. But again, you're giving me that jealousy of not being on the road, man. How's, how's Chi-Town right now? Oh, so far, so good. Today's been pretty overcast, but luckily the rest of the week looks like it's going to be sunny, which is a good thing considering we've got postseason baseball for the Marlins for the first time since 2003. And it's yeah. a fitting first matchup considering how that we when you look back at the 2003 series and you look back at an infamous, famous, however you want to interpret it, depending on your purview, things that happened in a certain game six in that series. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jordan, how, where were you when Bartman dropped the ball? Well, let's see. It was October 2003. I was – I'm really going to – Make you shake your head, Andre. Yeah, I was a month away from turning nine years old. Oh, man. <laughs> but, so I'll be honest, my recollection in the moment isn't really that fresh. But looking back at it and seeing the replays over the years, it's just, it's incredible to watch that and see how it happened. Michael Hill, the Marlins president of baseball operations, who was in his second year in the front office, he's adamant that it wasn't a catchable ball. So he just wants everyone to move on from that. But oh, I totally, I've been saying for years, Moises Alou made a, made too much of a fuss about that. <laughs> I'm not sure if he would have caught if that would have made a. And, and besides, you don't collapse the way they do after that anyway. So yeah. poor man, poor Bartman. Yeah, I was at the Herald at the time, and this was in the early days, but I was still clerking for the Herald, and I remember going across the street to the to the Burger King. That was across from where the old Herald was near Bayside, mm-hmm. and 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 getting ready to go back and and basically finish up the loss because it was three nothing in the sixth inning, and we're thinking, okay, we got to wrap this up. This is going to be the wrap up tonight, you know, the, the epitaph on the season. And then all of a sudden, craziness that happens, and you're like, oh crap, we got they still can do this. So then, before you know it, we're planning a World Series. So you know, amazing, you know, to think. That all that time has passed. I mean, our listeners know I'm a little older than you. Not way older than you, but a little older. I think it was, I think it was about 24. It was 24 at the time, or 23, actually. So, you know, but it's amazing that it's already been that long since that happened. And, you know, that, that really echoed to see not just them win last week and clinch it, but where they clinched it, too. I mean, I thought it was so appropriate, you know, to, to, to see them celebrate on that field, even though there weren't any fans there. But it, it echoed the memories of the poster I still have of Josh Beckett with his arms up, getting carried off the field like a hero, all that kind of stuff just, just came back. And, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, it's a tough matchup, but, you know, historic Wrigley Field, too. I mean, again, I'm jealous, man. You're going to go to a, not just this, not just Chicago, but, you know, see a playoff series in, in Wrigley, man. Enjoy it. Will do. And we'll touch more on the 2020 playoff edition of Marlins Cubs in just a little bit. But first, let's go back to Friday. They get the clinch. They beat the Yankees 5-4 to four in 10 innings. And you just see the flood of emotions from this team. Obviously, yeah. you have the playoff berth. You have the moment of this team three years into the rebuild, finally snapping that drought, doing it on the four-year anniversary of Jose Fernandez's death. Just yeah. everything that this team has worked for, all of the emotions just flooding out at once. It's a shame that... I wasn't able to be there and that I know nobody from the media was there, especially unfortunately because New York still has its quarantines in place for people coming from Florida. It's mandatory 14 days. So, so, but even just watching the TV broadcast of it, 
watching Donnie get so emotional on the post-game interview with Paul Severino and Ty Hollinsworth, it just, it really just looked like the fitting end to one chapter of this long, grueling hurdle after hurdle, obstacle after, after obstacle season, to see it play out the way that it really, just the storybook ending that it really needed to happen. Yeah, and you know what, and, and you, you pointed out Mattingly, and definitely that was the moment that stood out to me. Not two of them, him and, and Miguel Rojas, because, you know, M- Mickey's like the manager on the field, yeah. kind of, you know, like the co-manager for, I, I call us, you know, and, and he, the to me, it's not, we know that the team has, it, it's been, it's been hard the last couple of years during the whole rebuilding process. And, you know, even though you could say, you can make your judgments on whether it's still going to work down the road or not, but enjoy this moment. If you're, you know, if you're on that team, if you're a Marlins, you know, fan, I mean, because you don't blame them for that kind of emotion. Just, you can just encapsulize these last two months, what they, what they had to deal with. And that's enough to evoke that kind of, you know, that kind of emotion, that kind of, you know, outpouring of what happened to, you know, out there on the field, because, I mean, geez, I mean, what else could have, what else could have happened to this team early on? And, you know, in baseball as a whole, I mean, they're the, they're one of the most remarkable stories in sports as a whole. They're one of the most remarkable stories out there right now. And it was good to see in baseball in general, the teams that really faced a lot of adversity did make it. They made it. The Cardinals made it too. I mean, those are teams that, I mean, play, they've been playing double headers left and right, you know, short notice going on the road to New York the way the Marlins mm-hmm. did one time. You know, a lot of things that we don't have time to recap it in their entirety right of now. But, and, and, we, and we don't want to because we want to look forward. We want to, you know, keep looking at, at, at how, you know, what this team needs to do next to keep this thing going. Yeah, but before we go forward again, just the, again, it felt, one thing I want to know as we do move forward, they didn't play a game on Monday. It was so <laughs> weird when I'm waiting for an email to say, "Yeah, here's the lineup for today." And it's like, "Wait, I, wait, yeah. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be waiting for this." What's yeah, an update feel like? like <laughs> Donnie was like, "Great, I don't have to talk to anybody today. I can chill. I can take the day off." I mean, what, what is a day off? Yeah, no, he was actually asked, I think, two or three different times about the postseason format, how there are no off days in between, yeah. in between games during the divisional series and championship series, and his thought, his response was. Well, there's two days off between the end of the regular season and the wild card. There's days off in between those. Those two days, that's like a vacation for us. Because, yeah, because, I mean, they played 28 games in 24 days to close out the year. So any sort of day off or a day where you're doing a light workout like they did on Monday, that's really probably the biggest thing that this team could have used and they really needed it because Mattingly had to manufacture off days for his players by rotating players in and out of the lineup just to make sure everyone was as fresh as they could be going into the postseason. I mean, look, health is always important, obviously, in, in, for any, in any sport, any team, especially at this point in the season. But I don't think the, you're going to catch the Marlins off guard when it comes to any sort of logistical challenge, road travel challenge, anything like that, because they've been through the grinder now too much the whole year or something like that. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, talent on the field, pitching, all that sort of stuff, you know, We'll see. But in terms of that kind of thing, I think they're going to be ready, despite a general lack of experience when it comes to playoff games with this team. But I think the 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 traveling part, the you know, even even if they were to get through this round, then, you know, going to neutral sites in a way, 
you know, all of, all of those factors are not going to be an obstacle for this team in, in any sense. I think it's going to come down to just, you know, execution and, and, and can this young team continue to be resilient in terms of, you know, beating the, you know, in terms of the pitching, the lineup being consistent, that sort of thing. Definitely. And now that we're here, let's talk postseason baseball. I mean, first yeah. team up, you got the Chicago Cubs wild card this year because of the expanded playoffs. It's not a win or go home situation. Every team, all 16 teams that made the playoffs are playing a best of three series. The Marlins is the sixth seed, get the Cubs who are the three seed and the NL central champions 34 and 26 on the year. First time they're facing a team that isn't in the East because of how the regional format happened. So for a lot of teams in the yeah, playoffs, yeah, exactly. So just Dre, give me your overall, just your overall thoughts on the matchup itself. And then we'll go into a few nitty gritty specifics as we go, go through this. I mean, look, I, I think that part of it is going to be the interesting part because really, if you look at the entire playoff picture, I think it was only Tampa and Toronto. Everyone else is a matchup involving teams outside of their division. So they really, there hasn't been anything to, to immediately gauge from this year, but specifically looking at this, I mean, I'm, Again, I'm going to say this, and then I know it's going to be the other way around. I know there's going to it's going to be completely. That's how baseball different. is. <laughs> That's because that's how baseball is. But you look at this on paper, and you think this is going to be a low-scoring series, just because the Cubs are very pitcher dominant. You look at their lineup this year. Reading a preview, MLB.com did two twenty slash line, two twenty three eighteen three eighty seven slash line hitting for the Cubs this year. That's not typical. You know, prolific Cubs City. I mean, they hit. They did hit a pretty decent amount of home runs. They had 74 homers on the year, made a lot of contact. But this Cubs team did not hit very well until now at the end of the year against the White Sox. So, and you look at the Marlins, they had moments where they hit well, they had moments where, you know, that completely vanished on them. But both teams, their strength is that rotation. Both teams, their strength is the pitching. The Cubs bullpen has been really good this year, too. When you look at uh, Craig Kimbrell, you know, a Jeffress has been pretty good for them as well. You know, so you're expecting that kind of a series. But again, like I said, we're saying that. And for all we know, you, tomorrow, uh, I'm sorry, on Wednesday could be 11-9. And then the next day could be like 10-7. <laughs> because that's how baseball likes to flip it on its head. Yeah. But 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 going by the numbers and as, the, as, as close as an educated, uh, you know, estimate that we can give, you look at Sandy, Pablo, and maybe Sixto. That's a solid rotation that maybe doesn't have the biggest names so far, but they have pitched very well. And then, geez, I mean, you look at you, Darvish, Cy Young candidate. Mm -hmm. You know, Kyle Hendricks is another solid piece you could put there. And then the veteran John Lester, if they were to go to a third game, I mean, that that's the way it's sort of looking at the order right now uh, for the Cubs. I mean, that's that's a daunting trio to throw out there if you, to, to face if you're the Marlins lineup. It really is, and when you look at the the pitching matchup specifically, as you mentioned all the names, you see the stark contrast between the experience versus the high potential, high ceiling, seeing knowing what they could be on the on the high end of their career with the Marlins with Sandy, Pablo, and Sixto. And it really just brings that again, the whole youth versus experience nature that the Marlins have sort of been dealing with throughout the year of no of being asked about you have so many guys without the experience, and if that could potentially work to their advantage of the, they don't really know any better. They don't really, they don't, they probably won't feel as much pressure. They're living in the moment. So seeing how that part plays out, especially when you're 
playing in Wrigley in Wrigley for your first ever playoff experience. Granted, no yeah. fan, no fans. Granted, that sort of takes a little bit out of it, but that's a really interesting dynamic that I'm that I'm wanting that I'm going to be watching to see how that on that part unfolds. Yeah, and I mean that is interesting to look at because I think in general sports right now you look at you know talking really fast just about like. Let, let, I'm watching like the Sunday night football game at the Superdome with no one there. And how much does that benefit uh, uh, the opposing team, like Green Bay, let's say? In the NBA, you're in the bubble. Do certain teams get as far as they do? We saw the Heat get as far as they did, but how much tougher would some of those games have been having to go to Milwaukee, having to go to Boston, that sort of thing? Not taking anything away, just saying the elements would have been there. So now the elements are not going to be – that element's not going to be there for the Marlins when – you know, it's two outs, two strike count, and you're trying to get Chris Bryant out when you've got two men on in a one-run game and Wrigley's going nuts and the, the noise level, that's not going to be there. So how does that affect whoever's on the mound for the Marlins in a good way, you know, potentially, that sort of thing? And even on the flip side, I mean, you have veterans, you have more experience and more veterans, which I always think is more, is it, it, you have to have in the playoffs, but... That dynamic is going to be interesting for sure. That's the one thing that, that doesn't worry me so much. I think with the Marlins, as much as how deep are they, you know, especially on the pitching side, because yes, a lot of these guys are going to count on are still pretty young. Even Sandy, we treat Sandy like a veteran because by comparison, he's already been around a couple of years. But in the grand scheme, it doesn't match up in terms of experience to a John Lester. John Lester's been through it. I mean, many, many more years on the mound, won championships, that sort of thing. That's that's extremely valuable. Now in the postseason, so that's where you wonder how much is that going to tip the scales in the Cubs' favor, or are the Marlins going to be able to get over that little bit of a disadvantage and still go toe to toe with this team? The two out of three helps a lot too, I think, in in terms of you know if you have two good days, anything can happen. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the experience in the Marlins' pen. Obviously, they lost some pretty valuable experience on the last game of the season with Jose Urania. Obviously, I know a lot of people have given them slack for just the way some of his things have unfolded the last two years, but he was throwing the ball really well over his last three starts, and obviously losing him, he had, I think the official diagnosis was a fractured forearm when that liner from LeMahieu came back and came back and got him in that wrist forearm area. Just knowing that you could have had him as a longer leaf guy in the pen, an established guy in the pen to give you multiple right. innings, compared to, granted, again, Trevor Rogers has been doing well, Dan Castano has really impressed. He stepped up when Urania came out. But Urania has been one of those workhorses for this team for, for the most part, for the last three to four years. And to see yeah. to lose that bit of experience, it's going to make Mattingly more likely have to tinker a little bit as he tries to figure out how he, how he maps out his bullpen for this three-game series. Yeah, it, it's definitely a loss. I mean, granted, again, Urania's not as a pitch in the playoffs, but he's just, in a way, just like Sandy. He's another guy that is as close as you get to the more experienced, the more savvy guy. Trevor Rogers just started throwing in the majors the other day and he's done well. He's had his moments, but again, it's a guy still in that really important phase of development where ideally you would even want him to be a triple A right now, not necessarily in the majors. And you're going to throw this guy in the playoffs. I mean, they could, Maybe he responds, but it's an, it's an unknown. Where Orenia, you rely on, okay, at least this guy has had major league innings, plenty of them, 
experience as a starter. You know, even if you don't use him as a starter, like you said, you use him out of long relief in spots where you can count on somebody. That that hurts. That hurts not to have that one extra arm that you can go to in in a tough situation. And and even if this team advances, I mean, the the length of that injury too, you lose him completely. It's not like he lost him just for this round. You know, but the the one good news switching from pitching to hitting is hearing today that Starling Marte should be fine to Definitely. go because on the flip side, that's the other that's one of those guys that you're really going to need to have a veteran hitter that has seen this Cubs team a lot Mm -hmm. during his career already. So he knows these pitchers. He's faced these pitchers. What arguably probably maybe the most valuable hitter in that lineup in terms of that experience that the Marlins have, you know, that are going to need to even have a chance to to put up some runs in this series. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just thinking about them, the acquisition of Marte and looking back at, even though his raw his base numbers aren't the aren't as gro- good as they were when he got traded over, he's come up pretty clutch in just about every time that they've needed him to. I mean, obviously the home run the first game he gets here, uh, he had a couple big plays during the homestand. Keeping him having him in both center field and the two spot in the lineup has been really beneficial for for the Marlins. Allowed them to move Jesus Aguilar down down to the three spot. Anderson's allowed to be in the four five spot with Cooper. Uh, you have Dickerson or Rojas or or even Birdie in the top, depending on if it's a lefty or a righty. But he's helped solidify a lot this year. And I just keep going back to, and I'm trying to move forward, but keep going back to the Marlins post-COVID, the fact that they were able to keep themselves afloat and even put themselves in the position for him. And knowing that they were able to get get themselves into a spot where they found a piece who's helping them this year, and it's gonna, they're going to have at least one more year of him too. Yeah, no, no doubt that, that. Like we said, I think we said it last week. Um, that the way they came out of the gates there when they were able to hit the field again after that stoppage was why they're here. I mean, that was the. I mean, it's, I mean, not only why they're here, but you know what I mean. That was yeah. the push. If they don't get that push, they fall short. You know, they miss it by a few games, and then we're back to. Okay, where are we in the rebuild now? This and that. It just puts it in a different perspective, at least for the next few months, thinking you have more to build on right now. And that, that was huge. I mean, now now it's one of those things where the Brian Andersons, you know, the Jorge Alfaro's, you know, the youngsters on this team, some of the some of the ones you mentioned before, to get playoff experience is it, it, it's an added bonus to a team that under normal circumstances right now, we weren't looking at this as a playoff season. Definitely. And also the fact that, again, now that this will be able to help them piggyback into 2021, where, again, the goal is, all, as Michael Hill has said, I think every time that we talk to him, the goal is to win championships, plural. And this experience, this little run here, this this experience of Penn and Ray's baseball, regardless of if they made the playoffs, just how much that was going to be able to benefit them moving forward knowing that you have all these prospects who have experienced this, have tasted this, and now when they come back to the field next year, they're gonna, their expectation is going to be having that type of experience again when they get into August, September, through a full season and not want to be playing from the outside looking in like we've seen for the last, I think, yeah, the count seven was 16 years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the goal is there, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. I mean, I think now it's a little more... It looks it looks more real now, for yeah. them. you know. Where before it was like the dream, now it's like okay, you want to say it's sixty games, whatever. But you know what? They tasted it. 
however, you know, however it is, it's still playoffs. Now, how do we adjust to the extra 102 games and get back, you know, and get back again and again, the sort of thing. But doing that while within the, the frame of continuing to do what's working in terms of development, keep bringing those guys along and each guy obviously a little different, but they'll take something from this, whether it was the ones that made it to the majors or the ones that didn't and are still working in Jupiter. And, you know, hopefully knock on wood next year, it, it comes back and we not only have the real season, but have a minor league season again, that that'll just be able to help things along in, in that respect on so many levels. Yeah, definitely. And now to wrap this up, we've got, I think we have eight different matchups going on. Let's do some predictions, Dre. All right, so <laughs> let's start it off with the reason that we're doing this podcast. Marlins, Cubs. Who do you, who do you got in how many games? Well, I'm going to say it goes three, but all right, I'll let you. I'll let you be the fan favorite on this <laughs> because that pitching that pitching scares me for the Cubs. I mean, I think it goes three, and at the very least, a. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I still get, I still it's gonna be hard for me to see them getting past the Cubs only because that rotation that they're gonna throw at them is gonna be really hard to hit. But I think they can definitely at least push it to three and make things interesting. I think it goes three two three as well. Uh, I'm gonna. I think they're gonna pull it off, but it's going to be if they do it, it's going to be because Sixto Sanchez bounces back. From his last yeah. two starts, he finds a way, whether they throw him game two, game three, because I really do not see any way that the Marlins pitch him game one. I feel like whichever game that he starts is going to be the, the defining game of the series and is going to be the reason whether they're in or out. And yeah. after seeing what I saw from him, even with the last two starts, I think he's going to be able to do just enough to be able to get them to move on. Well, the key thing there is Cubs have not seen him yet, or haven't faced him yet. They've right? seen him on film, but that's it. So. Yep. All right. Now the stick in the NL, uh, one C versus eight C. Dodgers, Brewers. I gotta go with LA. I mean, to me right now, they're still the best team. I mean, LA has no excuses this year. Completely agreed. And just again, the fact that Milwaukee even made it, and again, this is one of the things with the expanded playoffs. They were never above five hundred all this year. And the fact right. that Milwaukee's in the playoffs right now, I just, I think LA is going to take them, and it's going to be pretty. I think it's going to be convincing. Sure. Curious to see if if uh, our old pal Yelich flips it though. He's had a bad he's had a bad year in general at the plate. Does he turn it on all of a sudden now in this series? Definitely a storyline follow. Uh, number two seed versus seven seed. Atlanta versus Cincinnati. I kind of like the Reds here, and I, and and uh, and it's because of that pitching staff. I, I I just have a funny feeling like Atlanta's Atlanta's had moments, and yes, that lineup is is pretty powerful and whatnot, but. The pitching's been a question mark throughout the season. You know, they've had some injuries there, but I really like what the Reds are doing, and they turned it on late to get in, and, you know, I always I always like the hot hand late in the season when it comes to baseball, so I'm going to go with Cincy. Yeah, you pick, you pick them for the exact same reason I did. I mean, you look at what Trevor Bauer's done this year. He's just been absolutely incredible. Obviously, Castillo is Castillo, and we kind of know how that sort of plays out with a little nudge for Marlins fans there. But again, they've been they've impressed me throughout the year. I know they were only the seven seed, but they were in contention to get second to get second and end up getting that five seed, which honestly this may have worked out a little bit better for them because mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm gonna go with the Reds. But now if you look at the five four matchup, you got the Cardinals against the Padres. 
And I think I know where the answer is going to go here. <laughs> yeah, poor Cardinals, man. I mean, 11 double headers. At least they avoided the 12th. But, you know, it, maybe more competitive series. A lot of people are on San Diego to, to, to really make this a lopsided series. But I don't think so. I think the Cardinals will hang tough. But I got to go with the youth of the Padres. Big key, though, is if Clevenger can go. Because yeah. I know he's been banged up a little bit. But I think that'll affect them more in the long term in terms of being able to contend with the Dodgers and you know, make a run at the World Series if they can. But uh, in this series, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll they'll get through. Yeah, I've got the Padres as well. I mean, it's hard to root against Tatis, Machado, and just if you want to just keep going and listen to all of them. But, I mean, it's hard to go against them, especially after what we've seen from them this year. All right, we got yeah. four more. It's time for the AL Rays and Blue Jays. One, Rays and Blue Jays, an actual matchup where they've seen each other this year. Yeah, the only one where it ended up being the interdivision matchup, surprisingly. Um, you know, Toronto's got the young bats. The le- I call them the, you know, we call them the legacy team, you know, with Biggio and, and, and Vlad Jr., you know, and, and, and Bichette. But I got to go with the Rays. The Rays just find the way, and the pitching's there, and, you know, they're healthier now. And, and But in the long run, though, Tampa's going to need that lineup to come around a little bit more and, and really produce if they're going to take down whoever ends up in their path between there and the World Series. But they're still looking like a like a potential uh, World Series contender on that side. Yeah, I want to pull the trigger on the upset, but it's just, it's hard to do it. I've, I'm going with the Rays, but I think Toronto's going to do enough to push the three games, though, and make it come down to the wire. Uh, That's the thing with the short series, it can yeah. happen. Exactly. Uh, it's this one, I believe, yeah. Two-seed, seven-seed, the A's and the White Sox. That's a tough one because the bottom kind of fell out on the White Sox late and pushed them all the way down to seven. But I, you know what? I picked the seven-two in the National League, and I think I'm going to pick it here too. I, I and, and that was a little tougher to think because Oakland's had a pretty pretty good year, but I kind of don't like the way they finished the season. And I and I think the White Sox, for some reason, I think they're out to prove they're a little bit better than people thought. I love what Abreu has done this year. I love what Tim Anderson has done this year. You know, if Dallas Keuchel can give them a good start in the in one of those games, I, I'm I'm gonna go with the upset here too. I think the White Sox will pull it off. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Oakland in three games again. I like what the White Sox have done. I would I would be it'd be incredible. It'd be great to see them make a run here, and I certainly think they can, especially if they're able to get through the first round. But I'm just I'm gonna stick with Oakland. I'm gonna go with the high seat here. Uh, we're at the we got two left, three six. The Twins and the Strohs. That's another tough one, but you know what? I gotta go with Minnesota here because the Astros just don't seem like the Astros to me anymore. They've, they've been sluggish the whole year, finishing around the five hundred mark or a tad below that they did. They kind of they lucked out a little bit in the fact that they they the six spot cushioned their fall only because the rest of that division was so bad and you know didn't shape up till the very end. Um, so I'm going with the Twins. I think the, the fact that they are battle-tested and got through that really tough central race and became, and, and finished on top says something about what they've been able to do. So I'm going for Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking through the Astros' numbers. George Springer was good with 265. Alex Bregman only hitting 242 this year. Altuve was 219. It yeah, just, it's not the same. It's, it's, it, it smells of a team that's on the way out that has had its run and you know, better do something drastic to keep it going or else it could be Exactly, it. exactly. I mean, you've got to go Minnesota here. And then a 5-4 matchup. New York Yankees, the Cleveland Indians. I, I, 
know why you left this for last for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and it's a great, and it's a very good one. I mean, it could be one of the best of the entire first round. And, I mean, what worries me about the Yankees is that pit, is the lack of rotation depth. Because, let me talk about it. I mean, Garrett Cole, Garrett Cole has to win game one. Yes. Or else there's no, or else there's just no way at all. I mean, it, they have to, to at least get them halfway there, and then you hope that maybe they have one of those days where they bash the, the, the crap out of the ball, or maybe Tanaka, they, maybe they get good Tanaka mm-hmm. over bad Tanaka. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen that for the Yankees, something like that. So I'll say the Yankees do find a way. I, I'll say they do. I, they've been generally better than worse down the stretch. That ten game, they've been such a streaky team. That maybe it's ready to flip. They finished right after that ten game winning streak. They finished poorly. We saw even in, you know, they, they had the one game on Saturday against the Marlins, but overall did not play that well in that series. So maybe they flip the switch here because it's the playoffs. Even though they're on the road and they find the way, but it all depends on Garrett Cole winning that first game, or else they're in trouble. Yeah, that first game is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, Cole versus Bieber, they're both on. Yeah, yeah that's going to be a fun matchup. Yeah. I'm going with Cleveland. I, I'm going to go with, I'm gonna, I mean, again, I feel like this is one, there were a few where it's like a flip of a coin, but I like Cleveland. I like Cleveland. I feel like they're, again, I feel like it's going to come down to a game three and I'll take Plesak over whoever the Yankees are going to throw day, throw game three. That's just, that's I, where my mind goes. I'm not switching my pick, but I will say this. If Bieber beats Cole, and again, I go back to that. If Bieber outduels Cole, I don't even think it gets to three. Yeah. I think they get swept. Exactly. Well, that's all I can say is we got a lot of baseball coming up, and we got two, possibly three more, three Marlins games to see over these next few days. First game, two o'clock, two p.m. Eastern time, Wednesday, ABC. Dre, you ready oh, yeah. for postseason baseball? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean this is it's going to be fun, man. I mean I, I like the fact that they're sort of an hour apart from each other. It gives it almost that March Madness kind of feeling. Definitely. We're going to be switching channels and. You know, or maybe even to keep it in the sport, like you know, when they have the NCAA regionals and everything, and like the super, this is like the super regional yeah. round. It really is in format and everything. We're the sixteen teams, two out of three, and we're sort of flipping back and forth to see what's going on around the country. It's going to be a fun few days. It definitely is, and that's going to wrap it up for us this week on our on the latest episode of Fish Bites. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. We'll be back next week where we'll either be previewing the NLDS. Or let's just leave it at that. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you.